Michael. My poor, sweet, spiky hair. Hold me, Max. And I expect her to bust out some pom-poms and start doing a little rah-rah-roswell routine. Hello and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Aliza Ora. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose. We're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today we are discussing season one, episode 19, Foursquare. According to IMDb, this is the one where Isabel and Michael share a shockingly erotic dream, while Tess approaches Max with the promise that she will explain everything to him. This episode was written by Thania St. John, whose name I now know I am pronouncing correctly. <laughs> Yay! It was directed by Jonathan Frakes and originally aired on the 24th of April, 2000. Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, our buddy. They're like bringing out the big guns for the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's directed a couple of other episodes this season. Yeah, he has. But like the pairing of Thania St. John and, and Jonathan Frakes... Dream Team. Oh, yeah. And this is a very action-packed episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Although I would say, now that I heard that IMDb description, I'm not sure that I would call the dreams shockingly erotic. Like, erotic is already kind of pushing it, but like there was no shock in that. No. So to me, the part that was shocking was less the erotic part and more the, wait, is that a picture of a fetus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll get there. Which isn't erotic. That's not the part of it that was but erotic. But, like, shockingly fetal dreams doesn't have that <laughs> ring to it. Yeah, not the, and they're, like, pretty tame dreams in act, in reality, they're especially like compared kissing. to episodes like Sexual Healing, which, not that those were dreams, but there was a lot more making out going on in that episode yeah. than there is in these, yeah. like, dreams that Michael and Izzy are having. Well, also, the whole, like, Tess approaches Max with the promise that she'll explain everything to him happens in the last five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. The IMDb descriptions, I think they're just entered by users, and so they're not necessarily the way that I would describe things. But I guess if I wanted to, I could try to change them and see what happens. Submit some changes, like Wikipedia. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So we open on one of these... Not very erotic dreams that Isabel is having. And at first, it's not an Isabel Michael dream. It's an Isabel Alex dream. I know. Yes. I love it. Oh, they're making out in space. And I feel like they're kind of setting it up for you to think that it's Alex's dream because he's had dreams with Isabel before. Um, but then it becomes clear that like, no, this is Isabel dreaming about kissing Alex. How yes. cute is that? But then they go from this sweet nighttime scene to the outdoor, really bright scene that we've seen in Michael's visions previously. Mm-hmm. And Michael is just being a creeper and hanging out, watching them. What are you doing there, Michael? So I also want to just take a minute to talk about Isabel's ensemble here. Yeah. She's wearing this like beautiful black taffeta strapless ball gown with these like paper ballet slippers what are these they're so ugly these horrible shoes yes i did notice the awful shoes also i mean i get you can't put her in heels because she's like in the sand and two then she would probably be towering over alex yeah she's tall already she'll like just have her be barefoot or maybe she didn't want to be barefoot on the sand but like just put her in some like plain black flats then or something. Yeah, that's what I was wondering if she was supposed to be barefoot and then like they got there that day and she was like, oh my gosh, this is too hot. I can't like my feet can't handle it. And they were like, ah, the only thing we have are these hospital slippers. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> also, I I didn't notice her outfit as much. I mean, I noticed it, but not as much as I noticed that like they kept having shots of her that were like not showing the dress that were just like her her bare chest up that made it look like she was nude yeah you know and it's like if you have her in this dress like show the dress i feel like maybe that was intentional that they wanted the start the shot to look like she was nude first which is why they went strapless and i don't like the you know the continual trend of uh naked teenage girls stop it 
So thankfully this ends and we cut to all the kids monitoring Tess. This is a really cute like action, excitement, adventure kind of little scene. We're in position. But I was wondering, so Alex and Isabel have clearly been out all night. Maria and Michael have been out all night. Um, Alex, Isabel, and Maria all live with their parents. <laughs> Where do they think they are? Adults of Roswell, get your act together. They're doing that thing where they're like, I'm going to study at so-and-so's house. We're mm. going to be there late. I'll just stay over. They're doing like a round robin and all saying they're at somebody else's yeah, house, hopefully. I guess. And their parents just aren't realizing it. You know, hopefully it's not that their parents just don't realize they're gone or don't care that they're gone. I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, hopefully they gave some excuses. But their parents are, you know, not not the smartest for believing their children. No, especially after the whole nonsense that Liz and Max pulled in sexual healing, which was, I think, just a few weeks ago. Yep. Still just a few weeks ago in theory, but yeah, they're all running loose around the city, all willy nilly. Their parents don't care. Also, I did find it funny that, you know, they have this elaborate plan, like these people here, those people at her house, like, yeah, we're in position here at school. It's a school day. And she is a high school student. So did they really have to follow her and stake out her house to know that, like, she was going to be at school? Isn't she at school every day? Yeah. Like, she's going to leave her house and go straight to school because it's a school day. So obviously that's where she's going. Well, maybe she was going to leave her house early to stop off at the secret alien center before school to, like, check in and sign her name in the official alien registration book. Got it. Excellent point. So we get Alex and Isabel watching her on the video, Maria and Michael watching her outside her house directly across the street, making no effort to conceal what they're doing, which is why it's less of a shock when we go to Max and Liz at school and Liz is like, oh, hey, Tess, what's up? And Tess is like, why are you people following me? Yeah. And Liz is like, what? We were so subtle. And in this scene, we also see the first time of a few that Tess is talking to someone way too close to their face. She has her face about an inch and a half away from Liz's. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, even before all this COVID drama, because at this point we know you cannot be that close to someone Mm -mm. unless they're in your isolation cell. But that's a conversation for another time. Uh, Yeah, she's just like (laughs) way too close to people's faces. And this is the first occurrence of it. So I think that she's hitting on them. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I think that's what she's going for. Like, I think Tess is testing the waters. First, she's like, Oh, Liz, you know I'm really into uh, your boyfriend, right? Do you want to come close to my face and talk about how great boys are? We all love boys, right? Kissing boys is fun. What if we practiced on each other? Yeah, she really, um, I feel like she she is using her sex appeal and like just she got very, very close. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been upset if they had kissed. Right? I think that they are dressing Liz a little bit younger to contrast with Tess and her like cool leather jacket thing. Because oh, Liz is yeah. like, she has her hair in that little half back thing with a little cute plastic clip. And she's got this mm-hmm. like horizontally striped sweater. She just looks young. And then Tess comes out looking all like, what's up, girl? I could show you things. Yeah, Liz is like the, the good girl. And Tess is the bad girl. Yeah, totally. So then we go to the credits. And then we come back to this weird carousel thing where all the carousel vehicles are just like old cars. And it's lightly raining, and it's clearly really raining, and I was wondering if this was, like, a last-minute location replacement, because they were like, oh, crap, it's raining, what do we do? Because it's such a weird place to film. And it's so, it's like an old carnival ride. It's not even a carousel. It's got the, like, shitty canvas, like, plastic canvas top on it. It's, like, not a permanent structure carousel. Right, I was going to say, it looks like when, like, the the carnival comes to town. Except it's just one ride. (laughs) It's a very low-budget carnival. So weird. Like, they, like, picked up and went to the next town and just, like, forgot one of the rides behind. But the ride is also, like, a bunch of outdated vehicles, yeah, it's, it's very, it's weird. There's no, like, horses and mermaids and stuff. This is, like, a jeep. Yeah, I remember seeing ones like that. Oh, really? And the, at the carnivals around me when growing up. It's, like, for the little kids to go on. Mm-hmm. Well, so this is where they're talking about how they all think Tess is Nisado, and Max had alluded to this in the first scene with Liz, 
But here he's really emphasizing the difference between the three of them who were raised human and Nisado who was raised alien and who's a killer and Michael is like, mm, I don't know, I think that's who we really are. And so we get this continuation of this tension between Max and Michael mm-hmm. that I'm really bored of. Me too. I don't like it when my brothers fight. Yeah. Also, did anyone else notice Isabel's like hair accoutrement? Because she had these like, basically, I think it's like having chopsticks in your hair without it being racially ignorant. Because it was like these sticks that were then like curly sticking out of her bun. Did anyone notice that? Yeah, they're little hair sticks. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. I've just never seen ones that are like all curly. I don't know. Little decorative hair sticks. I wanted to talk a little bit about this, like, central tension between Michael and Max. So we mentioned this has been going on for a while. And I think, like, the main thing is Max thinks of himself as a human who just happens to have alien blood, whereas Michael thinks of himself as an alien who's been trapped in this human life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting in and of itself, but then I was like, oh, are they trying to say something here about, like, what it's like to be a teenager? Like, Max is the Mm. one who pretty much fits in. He considers himself essentially, like, normal and part of the world, but he's just going through this really weird thing, whereas Michael thinks of himself as, like, essentially different or separate or alone, and he's the one who's just, like, totally embodying the teenage spirit, or, like, he's trying to know himself and face all the different parts of himself, but he also, like, can't decide if his identity is defined by his circumstances or if it's something deeper than that. Hmm. It's another place where I feel like they had the opportunity to touch on these um, heavier themes, and instead they were like, no, let's do an action shot and have a pretty blonde girl. Cool. No, I feel like it it makes sense that Michael is kind of feeling like this isn't all that life has to offer me. This can't be it. Whereas Max is more comfortable in the life that he is in because of their circumstances. Uh, because Mm -hmm. Michael has had it harder in life than Max, and Max doesn't always, like, recognize the privilege that he has. Max never recognizes the privilege that he has. True. He never does. Max is just like, what do you mean things get handed to me because I'm a white presenting man? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) The world is inherently fair and just. Yeah, that he has, like, his own bedroom and a nice suburban home and... And two parents that love him. Mm -hmm. And can afford things for him. He has a car. You know, there's just, he's very privileged in many ways. And like, he's never had to question who he is because he has this complete identity and sense of himself. Whereas Michael was only ever told that he was worthless and a burden. Poor Michael. My poor sweet spiky hair. So this is also where Isabel says that she felt Tessa's power and felt like she couldn't fight it. And Liz is like, no, you have to fight it. And I was like, no, don't fight it. Give in. Give in. Kiss her. It's fine. It's totally fine. (laughs) Kiss her. Kiss her. Which there's going to be another moment for that later at the house. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, no Some more intimate hand-holding and soul-searching. What? The extended hand-holding? Hey. And sugar cubes. (laughs) Yeah, that hand-holding really, really got to me. I feel Mm -hmm. the closest to you. All right, let's save it. Save it for the moment. Got it. Because right now we have Alex being incredibly sweet and offering to get close, and then Isabel being like, no, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Oh, I know. It's so sweet. And then we have this weird eye contact between Isabel and Michael. And Isabel, like, kind of steps away from Alex. Well, she has this flash of Michael in the dream. Yeah. So we end with Max saying that they should keep following Tess and find more uh, before she figures out that they're on to her. I'm like, baby, she just told you she was on to you. (laughs) Like, she just said the words. Why are you following me? She knows, dum-dum. Yeah. She knows. She might not know that you think she's an alien, but, like... She probably does. Yeah, why else would they be following her? I think that they just did it so that Max could say, like, oh, we've still got the camera at her house, and then we could have what Lonnie Day on Ridge of the Still Pretty and Still Dead podcast calls an irony smash, where Max is like, we still have the camera. Cut to the camera in Sheriff Valenti's hand, because Ed Harding is like, hey, I found this at my house. It was placed in a bowl of amber marbles that looked nothing like it. It was very conspicuous. On the top of the bowl. Yes. It wasn't even buried. On a table at, like, hip height. 
Yeah. This wasn't subtle. And Jim covers for them. He's like, oh, yeah, there are all these unscrupulous moving companies. Ah, I'll get to the bottom of it. Don't you worry. But he he like throws he I don't think he throws that off their trail because Ed knows more than he's letting on. But Ed is like, thank you, Sheriff. I feel safe in your hands. I know his delivery. Get out of his hands. Stop it. Lisa wants to be in his hands. I wouldn't say no. (laughs) (laughs) But what's in his hands instead are these 8 by 10 glossy black and white surveillance photos that are all the rage amongst the spy folk. Yeah. These are the same types of photos that everyone who's ever spied in a movie or television show has had. So I was confused here because like, where did these pictures come from? Jim was sitting outside um, at the end of the last episode. He was sitting outside in his car taking photos of them. So these are all from that night, I guess, when they went to her house. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that moment, too, which explains why he has, like, a picture of Mr. Harding and then right after that has a picture of our little dream team. That makes so much more sense. I was like, yeah, where did he get those stupid pictures? Yeah, totally. And I forget if we decided he was there to surveil the Harding house or Liz and Max. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. And we still don't know. Speaking of surveillance, uh, Isabel goes to the school administration office (laughs) in the cutest scene where she's like, hi, I'm on the Sunshine Committee. And I expect her to bust out some pom-poms and start doing a little rah-rah-roswell routine. It's adorable. My absolute favorite part of this scene and this conversation is when the woman's like, I've been working here for eight years or whatever, and I've never heard of the Sunshine Squad or a Sunshine Committee. And she goes, she, her, her response is so good. She's like, I know, isn't it terrible? So I'm going to need some of this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect response. So in the time that it takes this lady to go ask permission from the vice principal to share whatever information with Isabel... Isabel finds her entire schedule and uh, pulls up all of her information, which obviously I wrote down all of because that's how I do things. Um, So the address they give is the same as the address in the last one. Okay, consistency. The phone numbers, they give two phone numbers. One of them is Tess's house, I guess. And then the other one is her emergency contact, which is her father, Ed Harding. Both Mm -hmm. of these phone numbers have a 503 area code. Okay. Which is in Oregon. (laughs) Got it. I think they just meant 505, which is New Mexico, and they messed up. Where did they move from? Her previous education was at Glenbrook in Chicago, Illinois. That's right. I was like, it wasn't Oregon. But like, also, this was before ubiquitous cell phones, so it's not likely that both of these were cell phone numbers. I just thought maybe it just like wasn't updated, and they used to live in Oregon, but like they didn't. No, they didn't. Someone just wasn't paying attention. I did like, though, that... Um, um, Alex's hacking powers are like wearing off on Izzy and she's like yeah, yeah. hacking into the computer when no one's looking. <laughs> well, their system didn't seem that complicated. It was like, just type the name of a student. We'll give you whatever information. That computer too, that like black with the green writing. It's like- I remember those. Me it was, too. That's crazy. I used to play Pong on my dad's computer in our basement when I was a kid. That's how I learned nice. how to type was on a computer mm-hmm. like oh, that. Oh, yeah. You played the Oregon Trail, the, like, text-based oh, one. Oh, yeah. Ugh, so good. So anyway, as we've talked about science class, uh, those poor teachers keep getting abducted. And we've had another case because she has, Tess has third period science lab and her teacher is P. Potter. Poor Mr. Sullivan from the last couple episodes. What happened to him? Oh, no. I know. Uh, let's all hold a vigil. Okay. Candlelight vigil for Mr. Sullivan, abducted by aliens. (laughs) But yeah, Isabel might just do all of this in the time that it takes the lady to go into the vice principal's office and be like, there's this girl. Maybe it's because the conversation is so long because she's like, there's a girl here from the Sunshine Committee. And the VP is like, that's not a real thing. And she's like, no, but it is. She told me all about it. And she was real enthusiastic. So I had to believe her. And then the vice principal's like, okay, yeah, cool. That makes sense. What information does she need? Okay, sure. That sounds legitimate. Just go give away all of this new student's personal information. No problem. That's totally allowed. Or the vice principal is like, uh, these freaking kids, I can't believe it. And then they talk for 20 minutes about how awful teenagers are. That one seems more likely to me. Did we mention that Tess walked by and totally saw Isabel? She totally did. So yeah, Tess absolutely saw Isabel doing this. 
And even though the teachers aren't paying attention to Izzy hacking into this computer, Tess or to totally anything. sees it. <laughs> so we find out at the crashdown that Tess is now playing hard to get, perhaps. Max no longer feels drawn to her and she's not making these overtures at him anymore. As we later find out, it's because she's moved on to his sister. Yeah. But anyway, Maria has a plan. Operation Never Leave Max Alone for an instant. Yeah. Which I think is very, very valid. Because he cannot be trusted. I hate how here he told Liz, he's like, I told you, you don't have to worry. It's like, your words don't mean anything because you were just kissing a different girl right outside right? the restaurant I work at. Yep. And to her credit, Liz is like, hey, I'm not jealous. I'm just worried. Like, Tess is an alien and we don't know anything about her. And Max is like, I'm an alien too. And Liz is like, yeah, but you also think she's dangerous. So, like, don't try to make me feel bad for this. Come on, man. And she clearly has some sort of power over him. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, we know this. We've acknowledged yeah. this. And then Max is all like, I'm an alien, too. And I'm like, bro, calm yourself down. You don't get yeah. to get out of this. And then the sheriff pops up to remind us why we don't talk about alien and or surveillance related matters in public places at a normal volume. Max? Because, oh, look, here's the sheriff. He's like, hmm, I hear what you're talking about. And I want you to know that's wrong. And you shouldn't be doing that. But also, how did he get so close to them without them noticing? Because he is also, like, three inches behind them. And they're just like... Because they're so oblivious. They're, like, really not paying attention to, like, who is around them when they're talking about these sensitive matters. Which Mm -hmm. is why Jim can honestly tell them, I always know more than you think I do, you dummies. It is true. And he also says, the more I know, the safer you'll be. I know. I like that. I'm unclear on how he knows that the camera specifically is FBI special issue equipment. I know. Like, is it labeled? (laughs) Yes. It said, return to FBI, property of Federal Bureau of Investigation. (laughs) Just etched in, like, personally engraved into the bottom of the camera. Right. Instead of a serial number, they just have, we hunt aliens. Do you hunt aliens too? Give us a call. Alienhunters at (laughs) FBI.gov. Yes. And then we head to the Evans house, where Tess now has some sort of hold over Mrs. Evans also, because she's got Mrs. Evans showing all of the family photos from when Izzy and Max were little. And when Isabel walks in, Diane Evans and Tess are laughing together, which gives us our only laughing of the episode. Ah. That... According to the definition, which says like five seconds between laughs makes it a second laugh. Technically, there are two occurrences laughing in this scene, but that's it for the episode. But they're Mm -hmm. related. Yeah. So is this a thing that happens in real life? Because it happens in movies and TV a lot where the parents are like, thanks for coming over. Look at embarrassing childhood photos. Is this something that happens in real life ever to anyone? Like maybe. It's never happened to me. Me neither. Like, I sort of get it with Diane because she is at this point where she's having a really hard time with her kids, like, not trusting her anymore and not opening up to her. And so maybe she's trying to hold on to that childhood period where they needed her. But, like, I don't think this is a real thing. Everyone knows how embarrassing this is. You wouldn't do this. Also, I do think that it's possible that Diane uh, was doing more research about her kids. Like, we know that she was looking through old home videos. Maybe she was just looking through, you know, these old pictures and already had them on the table when Tess got there. Who knows? That's possible. And then she had to cover and be like, oh, cute photos. Want to see? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Or Tess showed an interest in them. They happened to already be out, but then... We know Tess is obviously interested in Max and Isabel and their life. So it would make sense that she's interested in their younger life. Probably. Good old American Tess showed up and was like, Good day, Miss Evans. You got any childhood photos to show me? Yeah. (laughs) Good day, Miss Evans. I'd like to look at the photos. There you go. I've got seven photos. Seven. uh. (laughs) The word seven is always the one for me. Kangaroos. Dingoes ate my baby. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, so Diane does a much better job of keeping her cool around Tess than Isabel does. Because yeah. as soon as Diane leaves, Tess is like, hey, I saw you. And Isabel's like, oh, you saw me? Oh, that makes me nervous. Not because of sexual attraction, though. <laughs> this is another thing that I wanted to ask you guys. Does this happen in real life? 
when like someone says something that surprises someone else and they just drop what they're holding? Does that does that happen? Because I mean, it's not like she like physically startled her. She was just like, I saw you today in the administration office and Isabel dropped a mug. I feel like she was trying to put it on the counter and like missed the counter. So like mm. her hand wavered or she lost her concentration and like said it, but it still is not very realistic. I feel like this is a thing that happens in movies and TV a lot that people just like drop yeah. things to show right. that they're like, you know, caught off guard or whatever. Which I don't think is necessary here because Katherine Heigl is a good enough actress that she could have conveyed this with facial expressions. Like they didn't need yeah. to do this. But they did, and then Tessa's hitting on her, and then they're, like, definitely going to make out, and I don't know why they don't. It's very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, like, clear sexual tension, and then yes! being like, oh, I mean... She's holding her hand yeah. and being like... I feel a closeness. Come on! Yeah. Yeah. She says, I feel the closest to you, like we have something special. That's not subtle. So I'm going to tell you I like your brother, Max. Bullshit. Come on. Right? We all know what's happening here. Yeah, absolutely. So Tess tells Isabel, pay attention. Look out for signs. And then she, like, grabs her butt, I assume, off camera while she's (laughs) arranging these four squares of sugar cubes in the four square pattern that gives us our episode name. Ooh. And then we go to Max's room and we find out that, like, Isabel maybe doesn't remember all of this entirely. She definitely blanked out the part where they were kissing, which is why we didn't get to see it, I assume. (laughs) Yeah, she, like, lost time. Mm -hmm. And also said part of her was, like, waking up. Hey-oh. At which point my roommate or her partner sang Evanescence. Wake me up inside. Yes. And Max says something primal, and Isabel's like, instinctive. And Max is like, something not human. Ooh. Ooh. And I, so, okay, I was thinking here that a lot of this sort of echoes, like, alien abduction narratives, and I'm wondering if the writers were influenced by this. Because the idea of, like, things that happen in a dreamlike state, you're not entirely sure if they're real or imaginary the idea of losing time the idea of like having these half memories and then feeling like you've been given access to a different part of yourself or like a different level of knowledge that most people don't have these are all Uh common themes in abduction narratives i totally did not pick up on that yeah like tess is abducting them in a way but that's a really good point I bet that's on purpose. I'm gonna give. Yeah. I'm gonna give the writers that one. I don't give the writers on the show. I was anything. gonna say I don't think Lisa will, but <laughs> you can. I'm gonna give it to them. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt Fair. on this one. Okay, it is Thanya St. John. So yeah, we do love her. She she gets a pass. And then Michael comes over because Isabel doesn't think any of them should be alone, and definitely not because she just wants to meet up with him in sexy dreamland. Hmm. But that's what happens. Are they all sleeping in Isabel's room? Mm-mm. Max and Michael are in his room. Oh, okay. It just showed them waking up at the same time. So it, like, looked like it. But so Isabel goes back to sleep and is having the same desert dreams where they're making her look nude yet again. Mm-hmm. And um, And it keeps switching between day and night. Well, I think it's just so we can see that V constellation, because that's a big deal in their mythology. It switched from night to day in her first dream sequence, too. It started out with the starscape behind her and Alex kissing, and then it cuts to the desert. So, And I get why like they would want it to be night so you can see the constellation, but why don't they just keep it night the whole time? Or is this just to show that it, this is a dream? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And then also, like, the really oversaturated colors that we saw in Michael's yeah. visionscape are back. So they're just like, it's a very stark, like, this is not your reality type right. of mm-hmm. thing that they're communicating to us. From like the filters and all that. Right. So this is also where I was like, oh, in the last episode, Isabel told Alex, like, oh, you're the only one who's wanted to protect me before, except for Max and Michael, but they're my brothers. And now she's dreaming about making out with Michael. Is she not, like, totally freaked out by this? I think she is totally freaked out by this. That's why both she and Michael, like, wake up, like, (gasps) you know, like, like they're freaked out. Because, uh, no, I don't think either one of them 
was seeing the other one that way. And then both of them go to school and, like, level up with their pennies because they are freaked out by this situation. Which I saw as really unfair to Alex. I think so, too. But first, I want to talk about this little scene in the Evans' kitchen. Back up. Okay. Because we got important information here where Isabel tells them Tess made that symbol, the four square with the sugar cubes. Mm-hmm. Max is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. Like, it's so frustrating. We don't know how to read this map. And then Michael is like, oh, yeah, did I not tell you that I've known how to do that for a while now? And then Isabel's like, oh, did we not tell you that we summoned Nacedo here? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> About the thing they did at the library. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, yeah, we summoned him here. And now he's here. Whoopsies! So usually I feel like Max is kind of a dick and his temper gets the better of him. But here I'm like, no, no, you've got this. Yep, this is totally fair. fair. You should be very, very mad. He's like, the goal is to stay in control as he's flipping out. Yeah, as he's being very not in control. And then we have the little exchange here where Michael's like, why are you so scared to be an alien? And Max is like, why are you so scared to be human? And neither of them learns anything from this. And then Isabel is like, fuck you both. This is happening to me too, you dickheads. Yeah, good for her. And Isabel thinks Tess sent her the dream, which is Mm -hmm. weird because I think if Tess had sent it, it would have just been the two of them going at it, but whatever. I mean, if it was 2020, we could hope that's the way it would be. Uh, Hey, Reboot, we have an idea for you. I know, I was like, we'll have to wait and see if they go that route in the reboot. Yes, please. Fingers crossed. And then at school, Max and Liz are in the science room, like, looking at constellations, and Max is having, like, an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. And Liz gives the helpful advice and or platitude, you are who you choose to be, just like you're with who you choose to be with. And Max is like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then Liz is a total glutton for punishment, and she's like, what was it like? kissing her. It's like, girl, you don't want to know that. Don't ask those questions. Just leave it. To Max's credit, he does say it was upsetting, which fine. That's like the best response you probably could come up with in that case. So they they look up this constellation in their little uh, astronomy program, I guess. And sure, um, it doesn't look so it's Aries, but it doesn't look quite like the constellation that they saw. And Max says, "Why don't you put in today's date?" And Liz puts in five twenty-seven oh oh, which means that at some point we've lost like a month <laughs> because I think in the show's timeline this should be like mid-April. Yep. Yeah, what day did we say the episode aired? So April 25th or something. And then like everything that's happened before then, I don't know. So I go by the Roswell Oracle website. She's the best and I love her. I don't know who she is, but I'm pretty sure at some point I found out she was a lady and that's why I'm using those pronouns. But anyway, this person who still keeps up this website has like the implied and or stated dates for every episode and they say mid-April. And I believe them Mm -hmm. way more than I believe the writers of this show. Because then we get this explanation that Venus, the planet where um, aliens live and come down to Earth to impart Mm -hmm. their wisdom, as you will find out if you listen to our series of minisodes on UFO religions, Venus completes the V-shape when it's in the right place in the night sky, and Liz says it started moving into this formation after the last full moon, and Max is like, wow, that's about the time Tess showed up. But... If you look back at the episode The Balance, which took place in December, you get a shot of the night sky with this V constellation looking exactly the freaking same way it looks in April or May or whenever the heck this happens. (laughs) So that's a really long full moon is all I'm saying. Mic drop. Whatever. Whatever, writers. And then like Kyle and Tess are finally flirting and it's what I've wanted, but it's not even satisfying because I'm distracted by all this nonsense. I mean, I'm happy about it. I'm happy for Kyle getting some attention. Yeah. Or for Kyle even being in an episode because we've missed him because he hasn't been in so many of them. So, you know, let Kyle get some attention. Well, it doesn't go great for him, though. No, it's not. It's not going to go great. 
And then we cut to the school halls where Michael wants to talk about relationships with Maria. Mm. And Maria's so surprised and pleased. And I would be too, but she doesn't know it's because Michael was having creepy dreams about kissing his sister. Well, I like the little parallel that they do here between the Michael Maria talk and the Alex Isabel talk because Michael's like, I've been yes. thinking. And Maria says, Oh, great. This usually involves me having to get my car towed. And then Isabel is like, Alex, I've been thinking. And Alex just goes, oh, this can't be good. (laughs) Oh, buddy. Oh, Alex. But they both come out of it so happy about it, for now at least. Yeah. They both inadvertently imply that there's someone else that they've been thinking about. And the other person is like, wait, what? There's someone else? And they're like, what? No, what? No, what? It's just you, baby. It's you. Kiss me. Let's make out. Yeah, totally. With Michael being like, let's be with only each other. Maria's like, uh, yeah. Aren't we all ready? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's just make it official, though. Okay. I like this really awkward scene where they like, Maria. So, okay. Maria and Michael are like kissing in the hallway. And all these people are standing around me like, ooh. And I'm like, y'all. Including a teacher. Right. Did these people not go to the school during the events of Heat Wave when literally everyone was making out in the hallway at all times yeah. for like a week on end? Whatever. But so I think the cute thing is when they like go to the closet and they open it and catch Isabel and Alex making out. And Isabel is like, Alex and I are together now. And Michael's like, Maria and I are going steady. And they're like, great. And Maria's just like, ah, must be something in the water. And she and Alex are just <laughs> totally oblivious. Oh, poor Maria and Alex. I have a feeling shit's about to get real for them, but maybe that's something for Lisa's predictions. So Alex walks Isabel home and, like, tucks her in because she's so, so tired because she hasn't been sleeping well. And he refers to himself as her boyfriend, which, like, okay. So fast. It's a little soon, but, like, good for you guys. And she has more of the same dreams. But this time, two things that I noticed about this dream. Obviously, there was... A fetus. They're making out, you know, aggressively. And then there's imagery of a fetus. But also, they were making out on the top of an impossibly high cliff slash rock formation. Mm-hmm. How did they get there? How did even their stunt doubles get there? I thought it was wild. I mean, I feel like the incline, like they could have they could have made it up the incline there. Like there, there's rock climbing people who do it. I thought it looked crazy. Rock climbers are a crazy bunch. They do all sorts of of things. But more to the point, Michael is wearing jeans. And so I'm curious how he gets Isabel pregnant. Even if it's a dream pregnancy, one would think there are biological processes that have to happen. Well, maybe with humans. But we don't know Mm. how they procreate. Good point. It could be telepathic. Yep. He just thought a baby into her uterus. Mm -hmm. Yep. They even say, like, something weird was bound to happen. Yeah, it's possible that their species is asexual, and it was just when he, like, looked at her that, who knows, you know? I'm just saying. Well, if it's asexual, she doesn't even need him. Oh, yeah. She could just as easily have done this with Tess or anyone else or by herself. Or Maria, her one true love. It started with fear. How did we end up here? When the woman of your dreams is now the woman in your dreams When an alien meets a homo sapien Maria and Isabel, Mary Bell Mary Bell, Mary Bell, Mary Bell I know, how cute would they be as moms? Oh my gosh, they would balance each other out so well Be like fun mom and then responsible mom Oh, so cute. Oh, the perfect hair, beautiful lips. Oh, I would love it. And they would totally, like, sign their kid up for ballet, no matter what gender their kid was. They would just be, like, obviously be elegant and perfect. Go. For, like, ballet and also, like, rock guitar and basketball. So then we have to break off from this lovely fantasy that we have created to go to Michael doing more code-breaking stuff in his apartment. And Tess showing up to be super, super creepy. And she pulls a faith. She breathes on the window (gasps) and then draws, instead of a heart, she draws the four dots in the four square. But it absolutely reminded me of when Faith was trying to convince Buffy to skip class. And she drew a heart in the condensation. Yeah. 
So good. But this little like steamy breath situation gives Michael a vision and suddenly he knows where to find what they are looking for. He suddenly knows that it's at Pullman Ranch. And he knows that because as he is running out of there as a child covered in disgusting looking goop, there is a sign that says Pullman Ranch. Perfect. A sign. Remember this for later that there is a written sign at the location. Got it. Okay. And she tells him, you've been there before. And this is when kind of it all comes back to him. Uh, And then at the crash down, they are, you know, again, just out in the dining area in public looking at the Mm -hmm. file that they stole Mm -hmm. from the office. So they're looking at Tessa's file. Liz is jealous of her GPA. Yeah. Super smart, perfect, straight-A student Liz is jealous of a 3-4. I don't know about that. I don't buy that. I mean, I got a D in one of my classes my senior year, and I still had a 375, so... Yeah, it's not that hard, I don't think. Liz Liz wouldn't be jealous of the 3-4. I think this lends credence to my theory that while the writers tell us Liz is smart, they don't actually know what smart looks like. Yeah. Should be like, what? She has a 4.0? She has a 4.2 because she's in some AP classes? A 3.4 right. is not that impressive not for liz um so then she sees kyle and asks him to talk right Mm -hmm. and kyle does say some like gross things but also some like spot on things because at one point he's like can't beat a blonde like ew ew look it's gross but like it's supposed to be and nick wexler does such a good job of just being like the creepy like i love it screw you lady like you treated me like garbage and now you're trying to tell me how to live my life okay yeah Yeah. like this goes exactly as well as you would expect it to go when liz is like i know i treated you really badly and then i blew you off because i found a cuter more alien guy but don't date that girl. OMG, she treats guys, like, so badly. Like, oh, my gosh, don't even. Like, if I were you, yeah. I would just, like, not even talk to her. And he says, takes one to no one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, how dare she? She has no right to yeah. be saying anything about who he's talking to. Right. Like, if she wasn't prepared to be like, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but, like, you already know there's weird stuff that goes on in Roswell. So, like, there's something really suspicious about Tess. I don't. She would have had to tell him either, like, a lot more information or come up with a really good lie because what she's telling him isn't helpful in any way. It's not going to go well. Mm -hmm. Also, there is a huge, huge, creepy alien behind Kyle. And I'm wondering if the set dresser heard about Lorena mentioned that the extras casting person just like found the weirdest people that they could to throw in these episodes. And I'm wondering if the set dresser saw this and was like, game on. Because last time we had the little short alien holding a human baby next to the door. Yeah. And now we Mm -hmm. have this, like, huge menacing alien that's towering over Kyle. (laughs) And someone someone on the set was having a lot of fun, I think. Probably just the weirdest alien shit they can find. They're like, we'll throw it in the crash down. So Kyle tells Liz that he and Tess already have plans later today at the library. So naturally, because everyone's following each other all the time... Liz and Max are at the library to spy. Of course they are. And Tess and Kyle come in holding hands. It doesn't occur to them at any point that this is just all part of Tess's plan. Right. Like, she's much smarter than they are, and so she's just giving them the information that she wants them to have. Like, she already knows that they're following her. They know that she knows. So they also, like, Liz is like, why hasn't Niseido just approached you? And Max is like, oh, well, like, no one is really sure enough about us. And, like, guys, there are... At least two dozen regulars of the Crashdown Cafe who, if you ask them, would be like, oh, those three? Oh my gosh, yeah, they're totally aliens. They just talk about it openly all the time. But you think (laughs) Nisato hasn't figured it out yet? All right. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. You guys think you're the only ones who are capable of spying on people? Come on. (laughs) Nisato, like, invented that game. So what did y'all think about Kyle's amazing pickup line here (laughs) where they're talking about like languages and he says what do you say we start speaking the most ancient language known to man oh god to which my roommate said aramaic which i thought was cute (laughs) 
But like, way to go, Kyle. Like, <laughs> nice yes. and bold. Right? Like, okay, so Tess, like, is clearly leading him on. She wants him to think they're gonna make out. So like, him being like, so we're gonna make out, right? I think it's totally fine. He's not pushy about it. When she says no, he doesn't like- Absolutely. He basically asked. Yeah. He said, like, what do you say we do this? You know? Yeah. He doesn't try to make her feel bad when she's like, this isn't what I want. Like, you're just here Mm -hmm. to help me climb up to get this book and make Max jealous. And also, like, if you maybe want to, like, touch my butt while I'm climbing this ladder, I guess that's fine. Yeah, as long as you're, like, giving me the height that I need, like, that's okay. Yeah, she's like, I am using you. I don't care about any of this. So whatever. It's fine. It's fine. As long as you're giving me the height that I need to mess up the organization of all the books on this shelf. So that I can get to the wall behind them. And then she doesn't put them back. Nope, she just leaves them. So rude. I also noticed that while Liz is spying, she's standing right near a shelf that has an Arthur C. Clarke book on it, which I thought was cute. He's like a legendary sci-fi author. That is cute. Ah, nice little throwback. And then we see this cool thing that Tess does. Ooh. Alien powers. Magic silver handprint secret door. Yeah. Is this like a secret door to another dimension? That's, yeah, that's what I don't get. Like, did somebody, did another alien like hide that there and she knew about it so she went to get it? Or is that the only portal to another dimension is like on the top shelf at the Roswell Public Library? I kind of assumed that she could make these portals wherever she wanted. So like maybe she made one at her house before she left and then like... She made this little portal to her nightstand to grab it, but just because she wanted Max to oh. see. Because like this, it's like a spiral notebook. It's It looks like it's metal, and it has that symbol on it that is the one that they drew in the beach as children, and the one that Isabel found on that necklace in um, Atherton's house. And So, so like, you think that mm-hmm. she set it up, knowing that they were going to be following her, especially because like, she may know... You know, that Kyle is kind of their friend and that if she was with Kyle, they would be following. Totally. And like, I'm sure she knew, like she had heard, oh, yeah, Kyle and Liz used to go out, but then Liz dumped him for Max. And she was like, I can make this work for me. Yeah. It does not work, however, for poor Kyle, who Tess is like, all right, so time to go. And Kyle's like, but we just got here. Like, they didn't even do their homework that he thought. Okay, like worst case scenario, at least I'm going to get my English project done. And Tess was like, no. Sorry, bud. And that was a fair expectation, but he also totally leaned in for a kiss, and she does a masterful job of dodging it. Yep. (laughs) Poor Kyle. Can't catch a break. I know. (laughs) He just needs someone to be genuinely interested in him, and it hasn't happened for him yet. Oh, buddy. No. Just us. I'm interested in him. Kyle, I care about you. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that I'm interested romantically, but I'm interested. I care. Yeah. I miss him when he's gone. I know. I'm happy he's finally back, but I hope they give him something more interesting to do in the future than just be rejected. Yeah. Over and over again. Mm -hmm. Because he's been, okay, so he's been rejected by Liz. He's been rejected by his dad, who regularly forgets that he exists. And now he's getting rejected by the cute new girl at school. Maybe, maybe he should call up poor Vicky and be like, I am so sorry for the way I treated you. Could we maybe start over? Is there any way you would give me another chance, Vicky? I'm so sorry for the way that I treated you. I'm so sorry, Vicky. Must have been a man who wrote your part. I hope Kyle didn't break your heart. Vicky Delaney, we won't forget you. Now he can understand. I mean, he should have been able to understand before because Liz broke up with him before he was even seeing Vicky. So he should have understood it all along. But just also because of like human empathy. That too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that old thing. Anyway, so Max comes home to find Michael super creepily standing in his bedroom in the dark waiting for him. So weird. So that as soon as Max comes home and flips on the light, Michael can be like, we need to go to Pullman Ranch. I saw it in a vision. No one helps me. What are you talking about? Of course, it was just me. I just remembered things. I have flashes too. You're not help- You're not special. You're not special, Max. It's me. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, direct quote. It's like, whoo, buddy. 
Michael, so Michael says here that Pullman Ranch was the crash site of the Roswell 1947 UFO crash. It wasn't. It was Foster Ranch. We talked about it. It's now owned by the Dan Whitties. And uh, he said that the government took it over in 1947 and then erased any trace of it, to which I would like to say, really, Michael? Because when you emerged as a child in, what, the late 80s, there was a sign. Remember the sign that said Pullman Ranch? It's still there, by the way. Max and Tess will see it in a minute. So Mm -hmm. they didn't do a great job, government. That's an excellent point. Thank you. Too bad the writers didn't think of it. (laughs) So we head back to the dreamland of Isabel and Michael, where they now appear to not only have a strange fetus together, they have a full-blown little baby toddler human together. (laughs) Yes. That, That kid is at least a year and a half. Might be closer to two. The kid's like, all right, we're filling out college applications. Like, I need help on my FAFSA. Come on, mom and dad, let's go. <laughs> and they're all wearing, like, khaki, pastel, like, <laughs> Sears catalog outfits. They're, like, perfect, typical happy family. It's so yep, weird. Yeah, they built a white picket fence around this weird hallucination vision dreamland. Yeah. And so they wake up and go into the hallway, and Isabel is like, so we're having the same dreams, right? And Michael's like, yeah, and they look at the constellation, and then Isabel says, I think it's all true, Michael. I think I'm pregnant with your child. And I'm like, oh, buddy, I hope that's not true. That's a very crazy leap. I'm like, what makes her think that that's true? Totally unfazed, Michael is like, well, something weird like this had to happen sooner or later. No, it didn't. No, it did not. No, it sure didn't, Michael. Sure didn't. Something like this? This is what you were expecting? You were like, well, we're aliens. So, like, telepathic pregnancies were bound to happen. (laughs) Didn't you read the manual? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, Michael seems to be so, like, blasé about the whole thing. He's like, oh, yeah, like, like you said, like, oh, it had to happen sooner or later. And kind of not really recognizing that, like, that is a terrifying prospect for... Isabel and her body. And it should be terrifying for him, too. He can barely take care of himself. Yeah, he's an emancipated minor. Like, he is legally responsible for this child. He would be expected to pay child support and to, like, do his part. I'm hoping this isn't real, because I don't want this to just be a soap opera. (laughs) It's immaculate conception. Jane the Virgin, the original. Well, maybe not the original. I think a lady named Mary kind of has a claim on that title. Nah. Uh, But then we get an also very weird scene where Max is having, like, dream flashes. Okay, so Tess just, like, appears on top of him in his bed, and he's like, oh, yeah, this seems fine. Yeah. She's like, okay, it's time. You understand. And he's like, yeah, tell me. He's not alarmed at all. And then, okay. I don't know if y'all thought the same thing I thought, but like when Tess is lying on top of him in his bed and she reaches her hand down out of the frame of the camera, I was like, oh, is she is she about to give him a handy in bed? Is is that what's happening? <laughs> it's not. Why did you just call it? A handy, she said. <laughs> is that not a thing? <laughs> Wait, is that not a thing? <laughs> no, sure. That, that works. No, it's probably a thing. I'm a lesbian. I don't know. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Anyway, she's not grabbing his penis. So everyone, it's fine. I wrote in my notes uh, in regards to her lying on top of him. I wrote, if Tess has a virus, now everyone in Roswell does. (laughs) Oh, no. Parentheses, not COVID safe. I mean, she really, she's getting way too close to people. It's not safe. She's so close. She has no personal space. So then Max stupidly goes with her alone to the desert. So do we think that this is a decision that he makes for himself? Or is she using whatever mind control powers she may have in this scenario? I mean, for Max's sake, let's hope it's mind control powers and not that he's just a fucking idiot. They also drive by a sign that says... Pullman Ranch, because the government, having been given more than 50 years at this point, has not taken down that one gosh darn sign. And they supposedly uh, erased all evidence of it, but they forgot that sign. It's not very thorough. No. Maybe it was Topolsky's team who was on it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Agent Obvious was sent out there and he was just like, ah, good enough. Looks fine to me. He just, like, kicked around some dirt with his foot. He's like, yeah, that's good. Yep, I covered it up. He's like, well, no dead aliens here, so meh. 
So this is a pretty intense scene between the two of them in the desert. It's kind of hard to watch a little bit because, like, Mm -hmm. I don't love Tess and, like, we don't know much about her. But, like, she's trying to get him to understand. She's like, we've been here before. And then she said, hold me, Max, which, like, okay, back off. But he pushes her and is, like, really quite physically violent. Yeah. So I am with Max in everything that he says to her where he's like, Mm -hmm. oh, like, he's accusing her basically of all the crimes Nisado told him Hubble committed, like, all the murders that he thinks that Nisado has done. And so I get that. And I get Max. Mm -hmm. He says, like, I will not be a part of anything as evil as you before pushing a teenage girl to the ground. Like, take a look at yourself. This is not okay. This crosses the line into physical violence. And it's not justified. He's not doing it in self-defense. It's not okay. No, it's really not. Max does not know how to use his words. I mean, he's using his words, but he's also using physical violence, which we have, honestly, we've seen from him multiple times now in the last few episodes as he becomes, like, more and more stressed out and more and more unhinged. Right, and it never gets called out. It didn't get called out when he was being violent with Michael, who's already experienced a bunch of trauma, including physical abuse. And it's not called out when he's pushing this girl down to the ground in a way that could seriously injure her. A girl who is, like, much smaller than him. She, Yeah, and she is, like, fully, like, she looks terrified. She doesn't know what he's going to do to her. It's really upsetting. How sure are you, Max? How sure are you that this is a shapeshifter who is not a girl? Because you better be fucking sure if you're ready to push her to the ground. But even so, there's no reason for it. She hasn't physically threatened him. Right. Like, even if this were a grown man, there's no reason to be pushing anyone down. Like, there's no reason for him to have started physical fights with Michael. There's no reason for him to start physical fights with anyone. I don't like it. Even if it is Nisado and and Nisado has killed people, like you said, in this moment with them standing there, she's not making any kind of physical advances at him. Like, there's no reason for it to have gotten physical. All she said was, hold me, Max. Hold me, Max. No, I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just see how many different types of accents we can do (laughs) as we try to get closer to Australian. Anyway... (laughs) So, yeah, he's being like, no, no, no. She's insisting she hasn't killed anyone. She's insisting that he knows who she is. She's like, you've been here. Remember, remember. And then finally, he has a vision, which I didn't so much enjoy. No, there's a lot of disgusting gelatinous goo. It's so goopy. It reminds me of, so we talked about how in Alien, the movie, the Ridley Scott movie, they used KY jelly to like drip Loop. from the alien's yeah, jaws. Right. And that's totally what I was thinking of in this scene, except it's more like rubbery. These poor little kids, I guess they're child actors, so like they're not as sensitive to being covered in weird goop because kids are fine with that. But they got paid for it. Yeah, it was gross, though. Okay, so, 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 so in this flashback, we see Max, Isabel and Michael have all broken out of their pods. Maxie's Tess in this pod. She hasn't broken out yet. Michael, like, holds his palm up to a silver handprint in the cave. The door opens and the three of them leave. Max makes the conscious decision to leave Tess behind. Mm -hmm. I would like to refer everyone back to the conversation in the balance between Max and Liz when they are trespassing on the Indian reservation, the Mesalico reservation, when they're waiting to see Riverdog, where Max says, quote, I remember the first time I saw Michael. It was in the desert the night we first came out of the pods. The sky was bright with stars in this full moon. Isabel and I found each other first. We didn't know how to speak, but we could communicate anyway. We walked for a while, but we could both feel someone else. And then Liz says, Michael. And then Max says, he said he saw us, but that he was afraid. So he just watched us for a long time. When he finally revealed himself, he was standing on this rock. Just like you'd expect from Michael. Here I am. Deal with me. And scene. <laughs> Maybe they all forgot yeah. this. They blocked this memory of their time in the pod cave together out of their mind. Yeah, he didn't remember this at all. And then they wandered off in separate directions. Well, because Michael walked out ahead. Isabel was waiting for Max, who was like, you know, looking at Tess, trying to figure out, how, is she going to come out? What's up with her? So it is possible because they didn't remember any of this before. I don't buy it. I think the writers were lazy. Okay. Fair. Me and Elisa are giving them the benefit of the doubt again. How generous. That's how we roll. I was like, why did they leave her? Why did they leave Tess? 
I know. Why not just like poke the thing and see if it right. opens? Also, why didn't she wake up with them? Why didn't she like, why wasn't she born with the rest of them? These are unanswered questions, which is pretty much perfect timing because we're almost to the end of the episode. We just have a little more and then we'll circle back to these unanswered questions. Yeah. So it's nighttime when this whole thing starts and then it's suddenly morning. So this has been a very long mm-hmm. flashback for Max. More lost time. Yeah, more lost time. Isabel and Michael show up and then Max tells them Tess is one of them and we pan up to see the four of them and then the director is like, just in case you didn't get it, let me flash to the four square symbol in case it wasn't very obvious to everyone. This is what we're doing here. It's the four of them. They're the four in the square. That's the name of the episode. Oh, that's what they were doing? Oh. Aha. I know. It's like so obvious. (laughs) Just hitting you over the head with it. All right. Well, do we have any other unanswered questions besides our few right here at the end? Like, uh, why didn't Tess break out of her pod? Why did they leave her behind? One of my unanswered questions is like, what did they use for that slime? What are those pods made out of? Because they, like, broke through in such a gross way. And, like, what is that slime? Granted, it's not, like, about the show. It's very gross, whatever it is. So my question, my question for this was, did the writers not know that they were going to introduce Tess when they wrote The Balance? Did they not have plans for this? Had they not figured out what they were going to do with the constellation? They may not have. Because it directly contradicts this, a lot of this episode directly contradicts what happened in the balance. So I feel like I know that at some point there was a shift where the network told them this romance thing, like the teen romance drama is overdone. We've got a lot of that in our competition. So like y'all need to focus more on the sci-fi. And so I wonder if this test storyline hadn't even been planned and if they just like tacked that on to try to satisfy the network. It's definitely possible. But again, as Lorena and I said, they didn't remember, and so it totally could be feasible. And they also didn't remember, like, five months ago when they saw the exact same star formation in the sky that they're seeing now. No, they didn't remember that either. That only looks that way once a year. Okay, yep, sorry, my fault. My other question, I think I already asked, is Isabel really pregnant? Because yuck. And are we sure she and Michael aren't related? Because double yuck. Guess we'll have to find out. Yeah. But those are both yucks. And then I want to know, was I correct in my prediction that Nisado is Tess's father? Because I think now we know Nisado is not Tess. We're pretty sure about that. So if he is Ed Harding, is that who he always was? Like, did he raise her? Did he find her at some point later on? How did he get here? Like, was he an adult when they crashed, but he just, like, wandered off or he didn't know where they were? Like, does he age differently than us? Or is Nisado just a shapeshifter who took over the body of Tess's real father? I don't... That doesn't make as much sense to me, though. I don't know. What's the deal with Nisado, is my question. I feel like I should put that in a Seinfeld voice. What's the deal with Nisado, the shapeshifting alien? Is he going to be an alien or is he going to be a shapeshifter? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my Jerry Seinfeld impression is about as good as my Australian accent. No, I'd say it's actually a little better, honestly. <laughs> That's sad. Thanks. <laughs> no, no. It, it's, it's good. Let's go over to some hot and saucy then. Now let's see who's hot and saucy. What are everybody's picks this week? I picked Dear Sweet Alex for being so nice when he and Isabel are in that little closet and she's like, I know I said I wanted to take it slow. And he's like, the word glacial comes to mind. But she, when she's like, oh, it's time to melt the ice, he's like, let's do romance. But then when she's like, right now, he's like, okay. And he just goes along with it and he gives her what she wants and what she needs. And then later she gets tired and he takes her home and he tucks her in and he's like, you're beautiful. Do you know that? And I'm like, oh, yes, she does. She does. She definitely knows that, Alex. But it's still very nice. Yes, she does know. Yes. Yes, she is well aware. 
But you know what? He's just like so innocent and so happy to just like be around her and give her what she needs in that moment. It was very tender. Yeah, he's so great. So I think mine, I hate to, but I'm going to give it to Tess. Um, I think she was the sauciest in this episode. And so it's hard to pick a moment, but I think the hottest one for me is when she's telling Isabel that she feels a strong closeness and holds her hand while being very, very close to her. I thought that was the hottest and sauciest moment. And then the camera cuts away and then they make out. That was in the the time that Isabel lost. Yeah, I'm sure there's a cut scene of that. Well, my hot and saucy pick this week is going to be my favorite straight couple from when I was in high school, when I thought I was straight. Um, And it's that sexy, sexy hallway kiss between Michael and Maria. That's my hot and saucy pick for this week, because that was the life I wished I was living in high school. Making out in the middle of the hallway with everyone staring. Yeah, having like a sexy boyfriend that I would. Oh do yeah, that really with. like wow! I wish I were kissing Maria. I mean Michael, Michael. <laughs> I wish you were kissing Michael. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I wish I was Maria. I wish no. I really I wish I was Michael so that I could be kissing Maria. But you know whatever. Um, yes, <laughs> all of it, all of it. Um, that's my pick for this week. And so then that leaves us just with Lisa's predictions. So, Lisa, our next episode is going to be Max to the Max. Mm. So what do you think is going to happen for our characters based on that episode title and what we've seen so far in the series? Hmm, Okay. So the only thing I can think of when I hear that is Grody to the Max, because I grew up watching 80s shows. But I think if Max is really going to be himself to the max, then we'll get an episode where he mopes around blaming other people for his problems, being wishy-washy with Liz and picking fights with Michael, all while he tries to figure out how to control everyone and everything around him. That would be, in my book, Max to the max. I don't think we'll actually get that, and I sure hope that we don't. So we'll see. I do uh, think that we'll see more of Ed slash Nisado, I think he'll ramp up his creepiness and the FBI will ramp up their creepiness. I was glad that Jim mentioned the FBI to the kids because, like, they were really worried about Nisado this whole episode. But until Jim brought it up, it seemed like they kind of forgot the FBI was also after them. And there was this potentially evil alien hunter who tortured his own people that, like, they should really be concerned about. So I think that'll pop up. I think we'll get an episode just full of creepy people doing creepy things. I want the pregnancy storyline to die because it's ridiculous, but I don't know. I think they're going to use it as an opportunity to introduce dramatic tension for Michael and Maria and um, Alex and Isabel, and I'm really bummed about that because I don't think it's going to go well. Mm-hmm. And I think that I will continue to not find out where Milton is. Hashtag Milton Watch 2000. Milton, oh Milton, I want you a dog. You showed up to work when slacking is the default. We miss you, we love you, we need you right here. Milton, oh Milton, why did you disappear? back to us Milton yeah we'll see but I think I'm excited in this last little stretch of the first season Uh, I think it's gotten a lot more exciting there's a lot more going on that I'm interested in because it's not just centered around the relationship dynamics so I am excited to see what happens and how we lead into the finale of season one Thanks for joining us for our discussion of this episode where Tess gets way too close to everybody's faces. We'll be back Tuesday, May 12th with episode 20, Max to the Max. But first, join us next Tuesday for a mini-sode where we will be continuing our deep dive on UFO religions. We will be talking about the Unarius Academy of Science. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please do leave us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice so that more folks can find us. 
don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce, where you'll find lots of other great, fun Roswell and alien content. And you can shoot us an email at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or if you have any ideas for future minisodes for us. You can find show notes and more information, and you can even listen to the podcast at our website, which you can find at roswellhotsauce.com. Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Ashley Hullett. Our theme music is by David Belcourt, and our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time, remember... You can never have too much sunshine, don't you think?